This morning we're going to turn in God's word to the book of 1 Samuel. First Samuel chapter 12, First Samuel 12, and we're going to read just verse 6, which is our, excuse me, verse 7, which is our text, First Samuel 12 and 7, though we will consider the entirety of what takes place in this chapter as the setting for what we are to say. First Samuel chapter 12 and verse 7. Samuel the prophet says then to the people of Israel. Now therefore stand still. That I may reason with you before the Lord. Of all the righteous acts of the Lord. Which he did to you. And to your fathers. Amen. May God use his word today in our hearts as a light to shine and show us Christ. Before we go further, let's just ask the Lord to meet with us. Father, now we pray that you will bless the word of God. Lord, we confess that we are people that are in need of hearing from you from the word And Lord, unless thou dost send the Spirit to help us, Lord, we know that we will not hear sufficiently, if at all. We will not hear aright. We would not hear, O Lord, that which is the most uh, important of points for us to hear. But Lord, we would think after our own thoughts. Lord, we pray that thou wilt preserve us from that. That thou wilt guide our hearts and minds this day that thou will let the Spirit of God use the Word of God within our hearts. May he wield the sword today. Lord, I pray then that thou will bless this time. Help me as I servant, for Father, I am in need of the help of the Holy Ghost. And Lord, I pray that thou will glorify the Son. Bless us then, meet with us, we ask, for Jesus' sake. Amen. This morning I am going to address a subject that I am going to entitle Stand Still and Think About It. Stand Still and Think About It. Now, the situation that we have here in 1 Samuel chapter 12 is a very interesting situation indeed and it is a situation that may be somewhat like our own lives from time to time in chapter 11 verse 5 we are told about how the people of Israel reacted to the first real battle fought by their new king the king of the Ammonites, whose name was Nahash, had come against one of the cities of Israel and said he was going to destroy them unless they gave up, came out of the city, and allowed to have put out the right eye of every man. 
Well, the news travels back throughout Israel and comes to the new king, Saul. And he calls the Israelites together and they go to battle. However, it was not Saul that won the battle. It was the Lord that won the battle. That is an important point to understand. In fact, Saul says as much in chapter 11, verse 13. If you were to look at that, he says, And Saul said, There shall not a man be put to death this day, for today the Lord hath wrought salvation in Israel. The Lord had won the battle. Well, the situation that we find ourselves in as we come to chapter 12 is this, that the people of Israel are giddy with gladness. They swagger about and declare that anyone who said that Saul should not be king should be put to death. Well, Saul quiets that a little bit and in response to this does the sensible thing and he calls for the people to go to Gilgal. Now Gilgal is known as that place where Joshua and the people of Israel sanctified themselves upon entering in the land before they fought the battle of Jericho. It was the day when circumcision was reinstituted. It's a place that was known uh, for its seeking the face of God and trying to get things right with God before you enter into battle. Saul calls Israel to this place. And there they sacrifice. And then the people make Saul king again. But this time it was after their own formal ceremony. Apparently the anointing of Samuel was not good enough. The scripture says then at the end of verse of chapter 11 uh, verse 15 and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. Well my question would be why? Well, the answer may seem that there was a great victory over an enemy that had been very dangerous. Well, yes, there was a victory. Saul and the people went out and had a battle. There was a victory. Nahash was subdued. But the thing I want you to point out is that Nahash was not a great king. He was not a mighty conqueror the way that some had been, whether you take it to be Sennacherib or Nebuchadnezzar or Pharaoh Necho or some of these other. Nahash was a tyrant, a petty tyrant, a king of the Ammonites, a smaller nation. But I think, and this is my, the point I really want us to come to, I think the answer for the great joy was that it appeared that in Israel's mind, their insistence upon having a king was the completely perfect choice. What they had seen with their eyes that the rest of the world was doing and having a king 
was what they really had needed after all, they thought. And now this great victory had proven them right. Everything now was going to be great. They had a king. They had a victorious king. And this was just the beginning of the building of a great and prosperous kingdom. And they got what they thought was right and needed. And they were correct, they thought. It's not uncommon for men who follow their own counsel and go their own way that when things seem to line up with their conclusions that they find themselves in a braggadocious mood. Chapter 12 begins with a different tone entirely. A somber Samuel addresses the people of Israel not as a congratulator, but as a corrector. He knows, however, that for him to speak to a crowd so convinced of their wisdom and insight in a correcting way he would have to establish the fact that he had no selfish or self-serving motive for his speech. So in verses 1 through 5, you see Samuel addressing his place before Israel. He confirms with them his uprightness and makes them testify with an oath before God that he has been upright and taken nothing from them. And they say, yes, we witness to that. We agree to that. Then, in verse 6, Samuel gets to the matter. It is the Lord that makes any man useful. There is no success apart from God. No matter what you think, no matter what your conclusions, no matter what you see around you, it is Only that God works in a man that makes him at all useful. Now Israel may have thought that following their own counsel had brought them success. But the answer was it was only the mercy of God. That even over this petty tyrant Nahash, the fact that they had a victory was the mercy of God. Now we come to our text. Samuel says, stand still that I may reason with you. In other words, Samuel says, and I'm going to use today's language. Come down off your giddy high horse and hear the truth of the matter. You have rejected God. And though he has been righteous in all his ways from the days of your fathers until now, you have been foolish. Even though it looks like there has been great success that nobody can argue with. Let me just say, the world is filled with people who are going to point to this or that or the other thing, the other work. They say, see, it's a success. This has to be the right way. Samuel says, no, sir. 
Don't lean on that. In fact, Samuel calls on Israel to stand still again in verse 16. This time he says bluntly that following their own reason and demanding their own way was not only foolish, but it was great wickedness. And you see that in verse 17. And so you have Israel, perhaps, perhaps. Um, have you ever seen anybody when you address them with the truth that they sort of get a snide smile and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're just talking over there. You're, <laughs> you're just jealous or something of the sort. I can imagine that there was somewhat of that kind of reaction from Israel as Samuel spoke because the next thing that you see Samuel doing is he's saying, okay, now let's see the proof of the matter. In verse 18 it says that the Lord allowed there to be a thunderous move, thunder and rain to the point that the earth shook, so to speak. The point that's to be made, though, the time was the wheat harvest. This was not a time when you saw rain and thunderstorms in the, in the, in the seasonal moving of the weather. This was something that was a completely out-of-place situation. But the rain and the thunder was so powerful... And proof of this, the displeasure of the Lord that the people immediately asked Samuel to pray for them. You understand? This was not just some everyday thunderstorm. This was God's wrath being demonstrated. And these people confessed their wickedness. Here's an, inter- here's an interesting... Think about this with me. You just came to Gilgal, and just with great pomp and ceremony and a lot of uh, backslapping and a lot of hooping it up, you anointed your king again. Here's great King Saul. Whoops. The Lord is displeased. Here's the thunder. Here's the rain. We have sinned in, in front of Saul himself, right in front of Saul's face, Israel confesses that what they did in making this man their king was wickedness. Imagine how Saul felt about being told that. Having Israel confess that right in front of him. Well, here's the lesson. Here's what I'm trying to get to. Sometimes we want to have it our way when it comes to to the Lord's business. There's a lot of people out there that are doing this very thing. Well, we want to do God's business, but we're going to do it our way because we have found that if we do this, that, and the other thing, then people will come in, great resources will be obtained, opportunities will be uh, spawned, different things. But the thing is that we also do it personally in our own hearts. We know what's to be right, what the Lord would have us to do, but we think, well, if I do it in my own way, as long as it looks like it succeeds, it's okay. 
We think we know just what the best way is and we demand it. And when we get it, it seems to prove successful for a time, but ultimately proves disastrous. So, my subject today is this then. The will and the way of God for his people is not just a way to prosper, it is our life. You don't judge whether you're successful in the ways and things of God if it's just merely outwardly prosperous for a season, but rather, it must be our life. Now, the words of Samuel were for Israel to stand still and think long and hard about this truth. Here is the path to the goodness of the Lord. Samuel says then in verse 20 of chapter 12, And Samuel said unto the people, Fear not, ye have done all this wickedness, yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart, and turn ye not aside, for then should ye go after vain things, empty things, which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are vain, For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. Now this was a word to a nation. But I want us to hear this morning that this is a word to each of us. Four things I'm going to present to you and then we're done. Samuel said, stand still. So, four points. First, Israel was told to stand still and reason. Stand still and reason. The people had done a lot of thinking before this whole matter came to this point. In chapter 8, Samuel tells them that the request of a king was a turning from the rule of the Lord over them. But you read in chapter 8, verse 19, that even though Samuel reasons with them in that day, it says that the people refused to hear. They wouldn't hear Samuel. You see, in their minds, we have done a lot of thinking here. We have noticed a lot of things. We've noticed the way things are today. You know, the Lord being ruler over us was great when the, the fathers came out of the land of Egypt. It may have been great during the days when there were the judges. But now in this day, what we're looking at now, the flavor of the day, where we're at, we have looked around and we have determined that the best thing that's going to be for us is that we have a king. By the way, look around you. Do you see, Samuel, any other place around us that doesn't have a king? We think that we should have a king. In other words, they were looking around and they concluded that what they saw the rest of the world was doing was the right thing. See, it works for them. That's what we want. Now, I want you to see something here. A man never leaves the ways of God without first giving thought to what he wants That God is not giving him. Well the Lord's not blessing me this way. So I think 
the Lord's not moving for us this way, so the Lord's not undertaking for me this way. I'm not getting this or that. I'm not getting what I want. Therefore, I'm going to look around. I'm going to say, hey, this person seems to be having everything that they want. What are they doing? How are they living? What can they do? Where can they go? How can they present themselves in the world? Well, see, they're, they're okay. I think every parent has heard, and if they don't, they will. And if you're not a parent, uh, and you're going to be someday, you'll hear this. Everybody else is doing it. What's wrong with it? Here's an example. Here's an example. You see, they argued, it's not fair that we cannot have the same experience. We need the things that these other nations have too. We need this. We need this. You know, the thinking of men who lean to their own counsel, who look at their conclusions based on what they think, is the antithesis of what Paul says to Timothy in his epistle to Timothy, his first epistle, chapter 6. And he says this, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Paul is saying, listen, there's a lot of people out there who are saying, You can prove that this is good. You can prove that this is beneficial. You can prove that this is what we need because look at all the things that we're getting because of it. Paul says if a man has his mind going that direction, he is proud and he doesn't know anything. Doing what God says in God's way, according to God's timing, that is the path to gain. But godliness with contentment, meaning what the Lord gives me is what I need. What the Lord gives me is good enough for me. That's great gain. That's great gain. You know, the scripture has many examples of people who followed their own counsel. Thought that they knew better than God. And went their own way. And it proved to be disastrous. In the book of Jeremiah, if you're reading through McShane's uh, schedule, you'll have just read this recently. There was a man named Johanan. And his thought was, you know what? Nebuchadnezzar has completely uh, destroyed the land. He's taken everything of any worth. We're going to starve. We're going to be open to our enemies here if we stay in Israel. We're the remnant people that are left behind. So let's do this. Let's get ourselves together and let's go to Egypt where there won't be any wars, where we won't be subject to marauders and things of that sort because Egypt has an army. At least we'll be safe from that. And Jeremiah comes to him and says, The Lord has said, Do not do this because if you go to Egypt, you will know all the things that you are fearing now. Well, what does Johanan and the people do? Nope. Our counsel is, our wisdom is, that it's better to go to Egypt 
than to obey the Lord. What happens? The Lord's prediction is fulfilled. They find themselves under judgment. There was another instance of a man who wouldn't listen to counsel and it proved disastrous. Do you remember when Paul was sent to go to Rome at the book in the book of Acts? And they put Paul and his companions on a boat and they set sail for Rome. And of course, they have to go around this and over that and around the other thing to get there, around this island and by this place. And as they go, they find that winter is approaching. And perhaps it would be a good thing for us to figure out where uh, we should stay for the months that the seas will be very dangerous over the winter months and then resume our, our journey. And it says, and I think the reason why I use this because it became, uh, it has a very uh, personal uh, application to me. It says that they found themselves to start with, or they, they came in to a place called the Fair Havens. I was born and reared in Fair Haven. Not not in Sicily, but in New York State. But still, Fair Havens. Say, Fair Haven is a good place to be for the winter. And the centurion said to Paul, no, no, we're going to press on. And Paul says, listen, if you set sail, I perceive that this journey is going to be with great loss. Did the centurion listen to Paul? Does anybody remember that? Did he listen to Paul? What happened? They set sail, and not long after they set sail, um, they left Fair Havens and found themselves being blown around by Eurachalodon, the great, great storm. This storm periodically would occur in this area frequently enough and ferociously enough that it had its own name. Now, we name hurricanes. They, they've, they've started naming them different things now that you, you could never remember. Uh, Hurricane Hugo. Now, you can remember something like that. But some of the names they give... Anyway, that's just beside the point. They're in this great storm, and what happens? What happens to the ship? Everything that Paul says happens. Why? Because men think... I know more than God. My wisdom is enough to get me through any circumstance. Having to rely and believe by faith the word of God, that doesn't make sense to me. Oh, my first point is this. When any man leans to his own mind and understanding rather than submit to the rule of the Lord over his life, he will meet with great failure and even injury. So I ask this question very plainly. Are you in your heart and mind demanding to have things as you think they should be? 
Is that how you're looking at things? There is no prospering with that mind. Well, my second thought. He says to stand still and reason. He says to stand still and remember. They were to remember. In fact, the subject uh, of their remembrance, Samuel makes very plain. He says that they were to remember the righteous acts of the Lord. Now that can be taken in two ways. The righteous acts of the Lord can be a reference to the various ways in which the Lord had shown himself faithful and merciful to Israel. Not only in the past, but also in the present. Think of what God has done for you and has been doing for you. You know, an honest man cannot look at any of the dealings of the Lord and see anything but perfect righteousness. The Lord has never done you ill. Now, sometimes our minds and hearts conclude that that's the case. Naomi concluded in her bitterness that the Lord had not been good to her. That's why she says when she comes back to uh, Bethlehem area, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. Because the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. Well, she was soon to see that she was in great error. When a man concludes that God has not been fair or that God is not doing what he thinks he should, he starts looking around. I think I can figure out how we can do this better. That's one way in which the righteous of the acts of the Lord can be looked at. But there's a second way. This not only may deal with the dealings of the Lord, but it could also be a reference to the character of God. Because righteous acts could also be translated righteousness. Let us reason of the righteousness of God. You know, Abraham concluded that God was faithful and he was true and he was all-powerful. Based on his knowledge of the character of God, Abraham took Isaac Took him up to Mount Moriah. And does anybody know what happened there? What happened on Mount Moriah? With Abraham and Isaac. Abraham put Isaac on an altar, didn't he? And he believed that God was faithful. That even though God would call him to possibly slay his son, God would raise him from the dead. Now, of course, the Lord did not let that happen. They saw the ram in the thicket, and they offered the ram instead of Isaac. But the point was, Abraham, though he didn't understand how it was that the Lord was going to work, did as God said. He did not rely to his own understanding. He didn't say, now, we all know that this doesn't work. We all know that taking our children and putting them on an altar is not right. So, I conclude that this is not a good thing, so I'm going to do something else other than what God said. He didn't do that. Why? Because he esteemed the character of the Lord. And I say to you very plainly, when a man doubts the character of God, or if he forgets it, he is in for a falling away. 
The words of Samuel to Israel were a great rebuke. He called on Israel to think of the Lord's dealings and deliverances for them and to call to mind a time in which he failed. They couldn't. What happens when a people forget God? Or as Paul says in Romans 1, that they hold the truth in unrighteousness. That is, they know the truth, but they choose to go in a way that is directly opposed to the law or the will of God. What happens? Apostasy at best, rank paganism at the worst. So, given this, what is now needed? What do we see in this passage that is now required? So, here's the third thing. Stand still and reason, stand still and remember, stand still and repent. The evil that these people had done is said to be great in verse 17. It's called evil in verse 19. It's called all this wickedness in verse 20 of 1 Samuel 12. The sin which the people committed was extremely serious. How so? How can the setting up of a king be all that bad? I mean, Saul, wow, Saul was good looking. Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else in the land. There was nobody that you'd ever think this guy would make the best. Saul was it, and he had done a good work. How can it be all that bad? The evil is this. The Lord says it was a rejection of him. Now, let's think about that. There was the heart desire of the people to no longer follow directly the ways and commands of God. That was the issue. They wanted a man to stand over them that would achieve the prosperous successes that the world knows. We want somebody that's going to make us different. Oh, here's my point. Israel rejected God, and instead of that, they chose a man to stand between them and God. A man that had the right as anointed to demand their allegiance and their obedience. Here's my point. In the eyes of God, that place is reserved for one only. The place of the man between God and men is reserved for one only. And his scepter arises out of the tribe of Judah. Not Benjamin. And so I say this as a, as a, a side point, but let it fall where it will. Any system that lifts up a king as a head of the system instead of God ruling directly is wicked. Anyone that will say, here is our great leader. He is the point between us and God. That's a wicked system. Now you say, you have been now probably six months, preacher, 
without referencing Rome. What has been wrong with you? Well, here it is. It is great wickedness for a man to claim himself to own the position of God on earth. And that's what he says. You say, he doesn't say, yes it does in the Baltimore Catechism. Certainly does. He is the vicar of Christ, the representative God himself on earth. Wickedness. The point here was, there was a king that was being set up that was taking the place that God says there's only one that takes that place. Let me put it to you another way. Any will that we choose to follow other than the Lord's will is also great evil. Now, the people being told this, having Samuel putting this right at them, my firm belief was that they were not going to easily be convinced of their being so wicked. You're just talking. Samuel, you're, you're spitting together arguments. We're not convinced. And that's why I believe the Lord says, okay, we'll prove it. And that's why he sends the thunder and the rain at a time when it is never seen. My conclusion to this point is simply this. There are few evils that are harder to confess than the evil of choosing to follow the counsel of self. Few things are harder to confess than saying, I, I went after my own heart and I found myself in evil. The people are brought to the place of confession. Samuel says to them, now understand this too, you're going to have to deal with the consequence of having your king. You are going to be in for many years of hardship. This man is going to take your sons to run before him in his chariots. He's going to take your daughters to be bakers and confectionaries. On the surface, that doesn't sound like such a bad thing. That means there's a lot of pastries in the land, but that's not how it really... But he was going to take the people of the land to serve himself. A man who is set up in a place he ought not to be, making the people serve him. Wickedness. So... They are brought to see plainly that they had sinned, and they do say so. They are brought to see that what they had done was to reject the Lord, and they come to the conclusion, yes, you are right, we have sinned. Pray for us, Samuel. And I can imagine in their minds was the question, what's to be done? What do you do now? Last point. Stand still and render. You say, well, he said to stand still Ten verses earlier. No. He says stand still again. Verse 16. Stand still and render. When you read verses 20 and following. We just read them a little little bit ago. You see what it would take for these people. To be able to go on with God. The remedy. Is to follow the Lord with all your heart. And to keep his ways. 
not to do that is to set yourself up eventually to fall into idolatry. Which, by the way, when Israel followed their kings later on in generations, that's exactly where they ended up. So, follow the Lord. Now, here's a question. How do you follow the Lord? How do you follow the Lord? This is easy to say, but how do you do it? How do you follow the Lord? Well, the first thing, I think, is you've got to learn about the Lord and His will. You've got to learn. You've got to pick up your Bible. You've got to read. You've got to listen. You've got to study out what it is that God says. You've got to learn. If you're going to follow a map, you have to learn how to read a map. If you're going to follow instructions on how to put your bicycle together, you have to read and learn the instructions before you can do it. Sounds somewhat elementary, but it is. You've got to learn about the Lord. You've got to learn the truth about the Lord. Not what men say, but what God says about himself. And then, to follow the Lord, you need to let the will of God guide your thoughts and understanding. Rather than you leaning on your own understanding, you looking around and saying, well, I think this and I think that. No, the man who says, I think this and think that. If anybody comes up to you and says, you know, I've been thinking. We maybe should immediately uh, mark it in your mind. Nah, don't listen. But when a man says, the word of God says, ah, now there's the time to listen. You let the will of God guide your thoughts and your understanding. Then you will be able to follow the Lord. You know, there is an element in which we have to submit. Does anybody know what the word submit means? Submit means you fold your arms and you stomp your foot and say, I'm going to do what I want to do. Is that submitting? No. Submitting is saying with a gentle heart, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes. It's obeying. And then the third thing I think it, what it means to follow the Lord is come before the Lord and fulfill what your chief end is. Does anybody know what the chief end of man is? Have we studied that? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. In other words, you come to the Lord. You come to the Lord's feet. You seek the Lord. You come to the Lord in prayer. You come to the Lord in praise. When a man is doing these things, he will follow. And what does the Lord say that he will be doing to the sheep that hear his voice. He says, I will go before them. I will speak to them. 
The Lord is not going to say, you want to follow me, but guess what? I'm not going to let you know anything about me or speak to you ever. Or No, 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 no. Well, I'm going to conclude by asking a question. Have you followed your own counsel? What is that? What do you do about that? You do what Samuel says in verses 20 to 23. You do what you're told of the Lord. Follow him and turn from this wickedness. This all wickedness so Samuel calls these people to stand still and think about it maybe we need to do that too may the Lord help us let's pray Father in heaven now we would pray that you'll bless the word of God to our hearts we pray that you'll use it We pray that thou will help us to hear the Spirit speaking to us about our walk with thee. Lord, may we not be those that lean to our own understandings, but may we in truth acknowledge thee in all our ways. Bow before thee. Bow the knee. Lord, may we not lean to our conclusions or look around at what's happening around us and conclude we need to have that or this or the other thing in order for us to prosper and be successful. What we need is to go on with thee. Help us. Help us, O God. Help us in this place. Help us in our homes. Help each of us in our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.